Hey friends, welcome to the Taking Your Next Step podcast from Collegians for Christ. Through each episode, we will journey together focusing on becoming better followers of Jesus. If you are eager, like I am, to follow Jesus Christ, then take your next step now by joining us in today's episode. So thus far, we've talked about and established the biblical basis uh, for human life. We're all created in God's image. Life begins at conception. Even science uh, agrees and backs that up. So yes, we're correct biblically, but we're also correct scientifically. uh, That at the moment of conception, when the 23 chromosomes from the female and then the 23 from male come together, uh, they create one cell that has everything within itself to create. produce or to develop and to grow uh, as a human being until it is uh, born or comes uh, outside of the womb. So we've talked about that. Now we understand there's a great divide with everything that's gone on with the Roe versus Wade uh, here in the recent month. Uh, there's always been a strong tension, if you will, between uh, those that would be pro-life and those that would be pro-abortion or pro-choice. And I think one thing that will help us greatly, tremendously, as we try to navigate forward and we try to not remain neutral. We try to be proactive, not just pro-life on this issue. But I think what will help us tremendously in our understanding and our conversation and our ability to defend uh, our view for life and for us to be able to engage in a way that can uh, help God and help his cause for the defense of life is to understand the worldview that drives abortion. You know, you wonder sometimes how can people not only be okay with taking the life of an unborn baby, but protest and get very angry and vehement in their arguments for abortion. You know, you have to wonder sometimes, what do these people think? You have to understand that there's there's a view, there's, there's a belief that they possess that drives them this way, and they believe very passionate or stand very passionate on their view or on their belief, just as you and I as believers would uh, on the sanctity of life. And uh, everybody, let me just say this, everyone has a worldview. Nobody is no one from nowhere. Everybody's somebody from somewhere, right? Everybody has a worldview, and that worldview does this. It drives how they think, and it establishes every view about everything in life. You see, there's no such thing as having a neutral or uh, being neutral, just like on the moral issue. But even as far as uh, a worldview, you can't just be neutral. You can't have a neutral view. You are someone from somewhere, okay? You're not no one from nowhere. Wherever you find a human being, you will find a worldview. When I'm talking about a worldview, I'm talking about this. as a pattern of ideas, beliefs, convictions, and habits that help us make sense of the world. So it's a pattern of ideas, your beliefs, your convictions and habits that help us make sense of the world. It's your starting point. It is the foundation from which you view and make decisions on everything else. And if you start in the wrong place, many times you will end up in the wrong conclusion. Meaning, let's say math, you may have algebra. My my son, uh, oldest son took algebra one this past year. And I would try to help him with some of those problems. And some of those were five, six, seven, eight steps. And the problem was, if you did the math incorrectly on the first or second step, though you did all the steps correctly, if you did your math wrong on one of the first two steps, your conclusion or your sum or your uh, the, the answer would be incorrect. Why is that? Because your starting point was not correct. 
And so as you and I view everything in life, we have a starting point. Now, there's many big worldviews we could talk about, but what I want just want to try to key in on is a worldview that is driving abortion. So as we consider this abortion issue, we discover a theory being driven by the secular worldview that we will call this the personhood theory. So first we want to look at this. We want to look at the personhood theory defined. I'm going to try to take my time on this episode and maybe the next couple episodes Uh, to really dive through this and walk through this uh, because I believe this is essential for you and I to understand the issue at hand and essential for you and I to be able to navigate conversations and to move forward on this issue in a positive way. So this idea of the personhood theory, what is it? Well, personhood theory makes a distinction between a biological human being and a person. You may hear it referred to as the performance view or the utilitarian view, but it makes this divide between what we would refer to as a biological human being and then what a person is. It separates the biological human being into this. You can consider it a two-story division, almost like a two-story house. On the bottom floor, you have the body. It's an expendable biological organism. We understand it. It is, it is what it is through science. But on this upper level, we have what we'd refer to as the person. And it the person is the one that has the moral and legal standing, meaning your body doesn't have it, uh, your person does. And there's a divide. There is a point in time based on certain criteria when the body becomes a person. This is a huge problem, and we're going to talk about that. There's this separation between the body and the person. So essentially, to be a biological human is a scientific fact that can be tested empirically, right? We understand you're a biological human. You possess uh, different attributes that a human must possess. But to be a person who has moral and legal standing is an ethical concept defined by what we value. You see, a biological human is objective, there, there's scientific fact or evidence that says this is a human being, while what it takes to become a person, unfortunately, is relative. And that is where there is a big problem. This division creates a massive issue that is fueling the abortion issue, but not only the abortion issue, but it also is fueling the transgender issue. It's also fueling the uh, the homosexual issue. It's also fueling the uh, euthanasia issue, uh, where you're separating the body and the person. Uh, how can your body be male, but you feel like you are all these different genders? There's a divide between the body and the person. How can we say it's okay to euthanize or take someone's life or assisted suicide uh, when they are incapable of doing certain things for themselves because the body and the person has been divided? And I think you'll see that as we go along. So this is a huge issue. So personhood theory creates this two-level dualism that pits the body against the person. Unfortunately, in this theory, each is two separate entity entities merely just stuck together. It creates a category we could call this the human non-person. That hardly even makes sense to say, "Hey, you're a human non-person, and if you once you uh, fulfill these criteria, you'll be a human person." 
so we understand what the personhood theory is. Uh, what are some examples of the personhood theory? Let me just give you a couple uh, briefly here, just so you can hear it for yourself. And then we'll talk about some of the qualifications uh, that are required here. So personhood theory, the Supreme Court ruling of 1973. Uh, we see this presented in the original ruling of the Supreme Court in the Roe versus Wade of 1973. As Justice Harry Blackman's opinion. In his opinion, he said this, the word person as used in the 14th Amendment does not include the unborn. If this suggestion of personhood is established, the appellant's case, of course, collapses for the fetus's right to life would then be guaranteed specifically by the amendment. So even then in 1973, the issue of the personhood division was at hand. It was at stake in the ruling of the original Roe versus Wade. I have this example from a British broadcaster. Uh, it was a, from an article a few years ago by a British broadcaster named Miranda Sawyer. She had always been strongly pro-choice until she became pregnant with her own baby. And then a struggle occurred. And this is what she said. I was calling the life inside me a baby because I wanted it. Yet if I hadn't, I would think of it just as a group of cells that it was okay to kill. That seemed irrational to me, maybe even immoral. Now, after much research that she did and even releasing a documentary, she reached this conclusion. And I quote her again. In the end, I have to agree that life begins at conception. So, yes, abortion is the ending of that life. But perhaps the fact of life isn't what is important. It's whether that life has grown enough to start becoming a person. So here she has this internal uh, agreeance with her conscience that, oh, whoa, to take this life of this baby since conception, life begins at conception, would be wrong, but maybe that's not the issue at hand. Maybe the issue here is whether it's grown. Notice it's grown enough. It has to do something or become enough of something in size, of, of value to become a person. And then lastly, here's an example from a Christian uh, person here. Uh, Stephen Wagner is an author. He's written some uh, great works on the abortion issue, and he tells about a dialogue with a college student who was a Christian young lady, and he says this as, as she spoke. She said, I am a Christian from a prominent Christian family in town. When I found out I was pregnant on a Monday, I considered my options and decided to have an abortion on Friday of the same week. My parents would have adopted the child. My boyfriend would have married me, but it just seemed like it, it was best for everyone. I'm wondering, though, if I'm mistaken to think the unborn is not a person. What's the best case you can make to me that the unborn is a person? So obviously that's what fueled her decision. And she's asking him to make a case that the unborn is a person. And so obviously no Christian had made the case for her against abortion and clarifying when a biological human becomes a person. This is someone in a church. And the secular worldview, obviously, then, is permeating our churches and our Christian worldview. Think about this. 70% of women who had an abortion self-identify as a Christian. And 43% said they attended a Christian church at least once a month or more. Think about those that are sitting in our churches, in our Bible study groups, even our youth groups, our young adult ministries. Uh, many of them have been impacted personally by 
abortion. So we not only need to have conversations with the world, we must have these conversations with Christians and clarify uh, our terms, speak compassionately, speak the truth in love. Um, But lastly, here in our last couple minutes, we need to discover the personhood theory qualifications. What qualifies a human as a person underneath the personhood theory? So basically the question is this, when does a biological human become a person? Now, this answer determines the biological human's rights and protections of the state. If there's a later time or a certain level of development or a certain location that they have to have for them to become a person, uh, what is it? So the big issue for this theory is that there's no one can agree on, nor is there any objective criteria that qualifies a human as a person. Big issue. So if I say it's these five things and you say it's these three, you you say it's these three things and somebody says it's these seven things, it's up to us. There's no objective criteria because there's no point in the womb when that life becomes a person. At conception, it is a living, whole, distinct human being. Nothing happens at a certain place or certain level of development or certain size or whatever the case may be for them to all of a sudden, boom, now they're a person and now they uh, receive the rights of human beings. Um, Some bioethicists propose that a human becomes a person when the developing organism acquires certain substances or qualities. So in order for the human to become a person, it must meet certain criteria such as this. Here's just some of the list. Self-awareness. It must know that it's aware. It must have reflective choice. It must be able to make choices. Relational responses. Must have social experience. Must have moral perception, feelings, consciousness, and the ability to interact with one environment. Where does this criteria come from? You see, that's the issue. It just comes from people's opinions. It's all relative. When people state these criteria, they never answer why this criteria must be met or what is the basis of the criteria. All of it is relative to the person or to the scientist or to uh, whoever is stating it. No objective foundation uh, is there for such claims. And so as we navigate into our episode on Tuesday of next week, we'll continue to talk about this personhood theory. And I want to look at some major issues of the personhood theory and how detrimental they are. So join with us on that episode. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please share it with a friend or subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. You can connect with Collegians for Christ online for more information and resources at cfccampusministry.com.